Hi, I'm Joel Garcia. Welcome to the... You know what? I just want to bring up something. If you're wondering why there wasn't a show last week, it's mostly due to March Madness. My bracket was busted in less than three games, and the San Diego State Aztecs lost against Creighton. Now, sure, eventually Creighton got eliminated the next round, but it really didn't help the fact that the Aztecs lost in the first round. So with that said, let's get to the show. Welcome to the Pop Culture Shuffle. On today's show, I have a couple of things to talk about. First up, we're talking about Harry Potter. Plus, we're going to explore Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, and why you shouldn't. And finally, I talk about CBS's Ghosts, and why you should check it out. But first, let's enter the magical and controversial world of Harry Potter. Before I get to talking about Harry Potter and ranting about Fantastic Beasts, I just want to make one statement very clear. J.K. Rowling's comment on transgender women are horrendous, wrong, offensive, and transphobic. I do not condone her opinions. When it comes to possibly watching these films, reading the books, or any piece of merchandise with Harry Potter branding on it, it all comes down to one question that each of us have to ask ourselves before doing any of those things. Can you separate the art from the artist? With that said, let's fucking rant about Harry Potter. When it comes to the Harry Potter franchise, my thoughts on it have changed year by year. When it first came out, I didn't care for it. In fact, the first time I ever heard of Harry Potter was by pure accident. I recall seeing that my brother got the first two Harry Potter books, and at first I paid no attention to them. Then I heard there was a movie coming out and wanted to see what it was all about, and having the books there, I decided to see what is Harry Potter. And I can vividly recall reading the first book and actually finishing up the book the same day I went to see the first movie. Subsequent books on the other hand, I've read them far in advance, so I can read the book and then eventually see the movie. As for my thoughts when it comes to the Harry Potter books individually, I like the first one, the second one is a marked improvement, the third one is a bit sluggish, the fourth is a monstrous read, and to me it's frankly one of the longer books in the franchise. The fifth one was really good, the sixth one was mediocre, and the seventh was an overall decent conclusion. Now the reason I say the numbering is because frankly it's a little confusing when we talk about the films, so let's get to the films. Sorcerer's Stone was a good film. Now of course, compared to the subsequent films, it does come across as a bit, well, childish. Because of course we're setting up the world of Harry Potter with this film, and it's honestly trying its best to, well, do that. While at the same time also setting a lot of things up that will eventually pay off in the future. Like one of the things I noticed later on was the fact that they referenced characters from Fantastic Beasts. Chamber of Secrets to me is the best of these films. Now that might sound weird considering how it was the last film directed by Chris Columbus and also like the moment where the films began to transition from being mainly 
childish to more dramatic, but to me it had the perfect story. Yet basically a sort of murder mystery, sans the murder of course, in which Harry and his friends try to find out what's going on, and eventually, it turns out it happens to be an old incarnation of Voldemort. And I honestly think that the effects in this film have aged well, especially the fight with the snake. With other films from that era, they admittedly have aged badly when it comes to CG. I mean, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets came out the exact same year as Star Wars Episode II Attack of the Clones. And even in 4K, Attack of the Clones looks horrendous. Not so much with Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which does use CG, but not to a heavy extent. When it comes to Prisoner of Azkaban, I enjoyed it. And it strangely helps that this is actually one of two films I've seen by the same director, Alfonso Cuaron. Because he also directed the raunchy R comedy, Y Tu Mamá Tambien. And on a side note, it's always fun knowing the fact that he directed these two completely different films. Because a couple of times I took a film class in which we talked about Y Tu Mamá Tambien, so people were really confused seeing the, the director's filmography and seeing a Harry Potter movie when we're watching an R-rated sex comedy. And for those wondering, yes, it's a good movie and I recommend it. But going back to Harry Potter... Goblet of Fire, to me, was the worst film in this franchise. I previously brought it up briefly in my Batman review. That film has so many problems. Not just that the book was extremely long, the film had to somehow match it in the runtime. And the problem was that, well, it didn't fully adapt the book. There were elements in the book which they had to cut out, not just because of pacing, but at the same time they really didn't fix it. There was an entire subplot in the book about the elves boycotting everything, and essentially, oh, where's the food? Where's the service? And Dobby was also involved in it. But frankly, because they cut the whole thing out, he's nowhere to be seen in the movie, and whatever few roles he had remaining were given to other characters. Which was fine, since, honestly, Neville didn't do that much, as far as I can recall. Order of the Phoenix is just plain awful. Here's the ironic part. Order of the Phoenix is one of the longer books in the franchise, yet the film is surprisingly short. And I honestly felt like nobody wanted to do this film, so they just wanted to get this over with. Almost like they were being just paid to do this, and just go on ahead. You can tell when someone is really committed to the film, and when someone is simply phoning it in. And this film felt like a huge example of that. Even the part where Voldemort possesses Harry felt phoned in. Because for some reason we see a brief snippet of Voldemort in Harry's brain, and it's just Voldemort with a wand saying, Ugh! And like, what's the point of that scene? I think it was the only time I ever got upset with the film adaptation. Because when Cornelius Fudge walks into the movie and looks at Voldemort and says, He's back! I think I remember saying loudly to everyone in the theater, Well, duh! There are other things that was really bothered to cut out, like this great sequence in the book where a representative of the Ministry of Magic goes to see the Prime Minister, as in the actual Prime Minister, who's not given a name, as far as I can recall, and tells him, Oh, we're dealing with the situation. Because if I recall correctly, it was a scene in which the Dark Wizards destroyed the bridge. As for Half-Blood Prince, I liked it, even if at some points it felt like I was trying to be lighthearted in comparison to, well, the last book in the story. 
but that didn't mean it wanted to put some levity in before, well, things get real. And there were subplots that frankly went nowhere, such as Ron's girlfriend, the new defense of the Dark Arts teacher. But the relationship between Harry and Dumbledore really saves this film, especially seeing how in the fifth film it went nowhere, because Dumbledore was just like, Fuck off, Harry! But here, they're working together, and it was frankly some of the best moments in this film. Especially the part where Harry force-feeds Dumbledore water, and Dumbledore is telling him to stop. That was a great moment. When it comes to Deadly Hallows being adapted into two films, at first I thought it was weird that they would split the book into two parts, but looking back at it, it was probably for the best. Now we've seen other films based on books in which the one book was split into two parts. I think the difference between, say, Deadly Hallows Part 1 and 2 and Mockingbird Parts 1 and 2 is at the very least with Deadly Hallows, the films knew when to stop, and it set up a decent cliffhanger that was of course paid off in Part 2. Not so much with Mockingbird, where I honestly felt like they shot the whole movie, but they didn't know where to exactly end the movie, so they just said, you know what, here. Also, in the case of Mockingbird, it really did not need to be two parts long. Also, that film pretty much ruined The Hunger Games for me. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, uh, The Boy Who Lived. We're going to take a little bit of a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the prequel series. And why it's pretty much ruining the Harry Potter franchise. Now let's talk about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. I hate these films. I honestly feel there's nothing else to explore when it comes to this franchise. And sure, some might say, oh, but what about the other two schools we saw in Goblet of Fire? What about the stories before Harry Potter? Well, there is a possibility to make a story out of that. It would just probably devolve into something stereotypical. The Fantastic Beasts films focus on the Avengers of New Scamander. In the Harry Potter franchise, he's the guy who wrote a book about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Which showed up in one of the Harry Potter films as that book Harry was trying to stop before, well, attacked him. Now, the idea was for these films is that they focus on the world of Harry Potter around 70 years or so before Harry Potter was even born. And all I will say about that is, no. Now, with these films, I get that they want to expand the world of Harry Potter. I get that. And in fact, the first film did that to a relatively decent job. In the film, you get to see the world of Harry Potter from the United States point of view. And I admit, I like that idea. I like seeing them explore Harry Potter, but somewhere else. At the same time, it doesn't exactly feel like Harry Potter if we're not following Harry Potter. I would compare with something like, say, the Benham films, but even there, the Benham films are enjoyable on their own, and you don't need to have Spider-Man in those stories. But with these films, it honestly feels like they're trying too hard, and especially the sequel, The Crimes of Grindelwald, which was so bad. It was one of those films in which I thought the movie was over three times because it kept dragging on and on, and to quote an episode of Simpsons, a bunch of stuff happened. As for Johnny Depp, he was frankly forgettable in this film. He's honestly trying to be the bad guy, but he doesn't come across as a bad guy. 
To put it bluntly, if Voldemort's on the same level as the Joker, then Grindelwald's on the same level as a... Batman's most menacing threat? The Condiment King. He was basically trying to be the evil version of Jack Sparrow, only sober, and not funny. And that's saying a lot considering that this film didn't feel like a film. It felt too much like, let's set up a bunch of things that we're gonna do next time. And it's really sad when the best part of the whole film takes place in Hogwarts. The rest of the film, I don't fucking remember. But I do remember the moment I heard Hedwig's theme loudly playing the theater and saying, Hey look, Hogwarts! This is honestly a bad franchise. It really did not need to be a franchise. It's one of those film series you just look at and ask, Who is this for? Because I honestly don't know who would want to watch these films if they're not about the characters from Harry Potter. Oh sure, we're following characters that were in Harry Potter, but we're not following Harry fucking Potter. Now some might say, oh, but what about Dumbledore? What about... I don't care. I, I don't fucking care. The only reason to possibly see these films are saying, oh, the acting, but that's to an extent. Some of the actors are really good, like Eddie Redmayne, and even Dan Fogler. And I'm shocked that Dan Fogler is a good actor. Because to me, when I heard the name Dan Fogler, I thought of Balls of Fury. I watched the film once and rented it. It was garbage. And to me at the time, I thought, this actor's going nowhere. So the fact that he was even in Fantastic Beasts felt like a big shock, but he's actually one of the better actors, essentially playing the clueless American who's caught up in all this magic nonsense. He plays the most likable character in this film, because everybody else... Well, let's just say they have the charisma of a toaster. News Commander is honestly boring as a character, because everything he does is like, Oh, I already know what to do here. He is honestly a boring protagonist for this film. If the film was about, say, Dan Fogler's Jacob, that would be great to see an American in the world of Harry Potter. And before you might say, well that just sounds like bad fan fiction. And to that I say... What the fuck do you think this entire prequel series is? It's just poorly written fan fiction, and I know this statement doesn't make any sense when it comes down to the fact that, well, the original author's involved in the story, but honestly, I didn't fucking want to know about this. And I know people will say, we must know about this, but you know what? No! I don't! To put it in a way that Harry Potter fans might understand, the Fantastic Beast films are like a sectum sempra on this franchise. By that I mean, it's just that Warner Bros. keeps cutting into this franchise because they want more money. And the more cuts they make, the more damage this franchise gets. The Fantastic Beast films are honestly the most unnecessary bullshit to this franchise. The only way it could get any worse is if they made a TV show out of- Oh wait, they are making a TV show out of it. Okay, the only way it could get even worse than that is if, say, Warner Bros. just started throwing Harry Potter everywhere. You know, like have crossovers with Batman or any of the DC characters. Or maybe have the Looney Tunes go to Hogwarts. So you can have Bugs Bunny go, Nyeh, what's up, Potter? Or maybe they'll just eventually throw him into a fighting game. Regardless of whatever fighting game they could probably throw Harry Potter onto, 
it would allow you to do the exact same thing that Warner Bros. is doing to Harry Potter. Beat him like a dead horse. So what does is there to say about the Harry Potter franchise? I like the books. I like the films. I think Fantastic Beasts is an unnecessary piece of crap. And the series creator's comments are damaging to this franchise. To wrap up this segment, all I will say once more is that when it comes down to supporting the Harry Potter franchise, one has to ask themselves, can you separate the art from the artist? The Harry Potter franchise is available to own on 4K, Blu-ray, DVD, and digital, and can be streamed, most of the time, on HBO Max. Fantastic Beasts The Secrets of Dumbledore comes to theaters this April. When it comes to sitcoms, they are a relatively rare breed nowadays. Now sure, there are a lot of shows that can be called sitcoms nowadays, but the problem is with most of them, they tend to be that of the single camera comedies, such as say The Office, Modern Family, and Young Sheldon. I get why people may not be huge fans of multi-camera sitcoms, because they might seem fake, cliche, but to me, they're just charming. However, I will be the first to admit that sometimes a multi-camera show might not work. Then again, it also depends on the fact of whether or not the viewer finds the joke funny. Sure, let's say the studio audience finds it hilarious, but you don't. Subsequently, it leads you to think that the studio audience is forcing you to laugh. CBS is an oddity when it comes to comedies. Not only has it consistently aired sitcoms every single season with a regular night, but it's also been the only one to air both single-camera and multi-camera sitcoms. Right now, for example, you have, of course, Young Sheldon, United States of Al, Bob Hartabashola, among others. And some of them are multi-camera sitcoms, while others are not. Now, unlike other networks, CBS has rarely aired single-camera sitcoms. Young Sheldon being their most successful one. And then there's also the other single camera show they're airing right now, Ghosts. In the show, Samantha and Jay are New Yorkers who apparently inherit a country house from a distant relative and decide to convert this house into a bed and breakfast. There's just one thing. The house is inhabited by ghosts. After Samantha suffers an accident caused by these ghosts, she hits her head and realizes she can talk to the ghosts, much to their joy and relief, who have been, well, lonely for several years, decades, even centuries. Said ghosts consist of a wide range of characters, including a deceased Wall Street trader from the early 2000s, a Girl Scouts leader from the 80s, a jazz singer from the Prohibition era, an American Revolutionary officer, Sam's fourth great-grandmother, a Native American, and the Viking. As the ghosts accept the fact that they're converting the house into a bed and breakfast, they also have to deal with each other, essentially the ghosts trying to, well, find things about their lives they may have missed, and in some cases try to get closure, to varying degrees of success. At the same time, Jay and Samantha have to make sure they can get this bed and breakfast up and running, because they're running out of money. 
Now, if you've seen anything about Ghost, whether it was, say, an episode airing, its renewal for a second season, or just simply the fact that it's being mentioned, you might then hear another comment saying, go watch the original show. The reason for that is because, well, the TV show is actually based off a show from the UK, specifically, Ghost. I'm not going to delve that much into the UK version of the show, because, well, I haven't seen it. Despite the fact that people have constantly posted online, go see the original show, the truth is that most people won't exactly go see it. The only thing to know about the British show is that a lot of the elements are adapted into the American version. In both shows, the premise centers around a married couple inheriting an old house full of ghosts, and the main character getting injured and being able to see ghosts, as well as the fact that in both scenarios, the couple have to make some money in order to save the house. That is basically it because both shows go in completely different directions. From what I'm looking up, apparently in the UK version, rather than say fall down the stairs like in the American version, in the original, she was flung out a window and technically dead. And in a coma. And while that may be funny for a British audience, it's kind of dark for a sitcom in the US. So that's all I'll say about the British version. Now when it comes to the remake, I was a bit doubtful about the show. At first I didn't know it was a remake, so I thought, oh, it's just some goofy sitcom about two people seeing ghosts. And naturally, I gave it a chance and, well, found it very funny. The show especially works in a way because you get to see these characters live in a mansion and have to deal with the fact that we have a group of ghosts from several eras. And in a way, it's a funny culture clash. So we have the two characters who are alive, who are from the 2020s, dealing with not only someone from the 2000s, but also someone who is a literal biking. And it's really fun seeing this clash come across, because you get to see these characters deal with each other, and the ghosts are essentially a family on their own. Because of course for these ghosts, for a lot of them, they've been around for hundreds or hundreds of years, or decades, having to live with one another, because they can't go away. And they do explain why they just can't simply go to heaven or hell. But all I will say about that is, it's really fun and surprising. A lot of the conflict comes down to the fact that, well, Samantha doesn't want to talk to the ghosts at first, but reluctantly, she warms up to them and helps them out for the most part deal with the fact that they left a lot in their lives incomplete. And there are a lot of great episodes which focus on her essentially closing the book on these characters' lives. It's also really fun seeing how these particular ghosts work. Since for the most part, when it comes to say, oh, a ghost on a TV show or movie, it's just, oh, they can walk through walls, they go through them, they don't feel anything, and etc, etc. But here it's completely different. The people who actually watch these ghosts actually feel their presence. For the ghosts, they just feel utter pain, almost as if someone just stepped on them. But for the living, essentially they would find a weird scent or smell. Now, of course, that varies between characters, but that's just one of the many examples. The ghosts also have powers of their own, but it's not the kind you would think. For starters, they can't possess the living. At least in the way people would think you would possess someone. As say, oh, the ghost just simply jumps into someone's body and done. 
For example, one ghost can simply just mess with the lights, essentially make everything flicker, while another ghost can will themselves to type or push stuff. The ghosts make this show, not just for the fact that they can actually talk to Samantha and just simply have a conversation with someone other than themselves, but also the fact that, well, they have to deal with Jay. Now, Jay can't see the ghosts, but he's aware they're around, and has to deal with the fact that, well, they're everywhere, and he can't see them. One particular episode even acknowledges the fact that, because he doesn't know where the ghosts are, he has to shower in a bathing suit. As well as another moment where the ghosts are trying to get him to make food because they can smell it. And that's the other weird thing. The ghosts can't eat, but they can still smell the food. The show finds a decent balance when it comes to telling an ongoing story, while also having just enough for each episode to be self-contained on its own. You can jump into the show at any point and not feel like you miss a thing. Of course, watching the first episode, everything will make sense, but at the same time, you don't need to. It's also very emotional at certain points. In addition to the aforementioned attempts at getting closure for these characters, we also have Sam dealing with the fact that if she can see ghosts, she can also see her loved ones. One episode in particular even focuses on her going on a road trip and using her powers to essentially meet up with her late mom. Something that makes the show very enjoyable to watch is the cast, most of which are apparently new to acting, or from what I've been able to see, very few of them have had past work. In fact, when looking them up, only a few of them have worked on other noble productions, such as Rebecca Wasaki, who plays Hetty, Sam's great-great-grandmom, who previously appeared on the show Devious Maze, which I've never seen. The only other notable stars that most people may recognize are... Utti Inc., also known as Utkar Ambutkar, who plays Jay, but the most noble one would probably be Sam, who is played by Rose McIver. And if you recognize the name Rose McIver, that's because she was also on both iZombie and Power Rangers RPM. If I had to point out any flaws, it's just the bizarre scheduling. Now, much to my surprise, CVS actually preempted the show during the Winter Olympics. Considering the fact that CVS doesn't air the games, it was a bit surprising. That's my only major complaint with the show. Other than that, it's just simply that, well, the show gets preempted not only for that, but also March Madness. As I stated earlier, the show has already been renewed for a second season, and I'm eager to see what else it can do with these characters. Ghost is a rare funny sitcom from CBS, and I say that because, frankly, I can't stand most of CBS's lineup. Ever since Two and a Half Men, I've just found a lot of sitcoms airing on the network to be boring. Or basically any sitcom by Chuck Lorre. Sure, he made Two and a Half Men, but even that show started declining quality long before Charlie Sheen left. And when it comes to their other sitcoms, frankly, I don't care for them. So all I will say is, if you're interested in seeing a very bizarre sitcom, or anything supernatural, then Ghost is a sitcom just for you. Ghost airs Thursdays on CBS. You can catch up with the show on Paramount+. The original British Ghost is available to stream in the United States on HBO Max.
Next time on the Pop Culture Shuffle, we're going to talk about plagiarism. Especially when it comes to fanfiction. For now, that is all the time we have for today's show. If you would like to know when the next episode comes out, remember to follow or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite stream providers. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Joel Garcia 9 Until next time, thank you for listening.